Hello and welcome to an all new Marvel cast, Explosion Network's hub of all things Marvel, place to talk about everything MCU and beyond, from Avengers and Defenders to Atuma and Whirlwind. My name's Ashley Hobley, joining me this episode, the ultimate Kieran Marchant. Who knew how good a host a little prick could be, you know? <laughs> and joining <laughs> us as well, the astonishing Dylan Blight. Uh, good to be here talking about my favourite MCU villain, Whiplash. I mean, Mickey Rock. I mean, Whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's just get straight into it. We're going to be talking about Iron Man 2. Center. I'm sorry, he's very eccentric. I want one. No. If you can make God bleed, people will cease to believe in him. turned over to the United States of America. I am Iron Man. The suit and I are one. Contrary to popular belief, I know exactly what I'm doing. Uh, released in 2010, directed by John Favreau, written by Justin Theroux, starring Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle, Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, Mickey Rourke, Samuel L. Jackson, Paul Bettany, and Clark Gregg. Tony Stark is under pressure from various sources, including the government, to share his technology with the world. He must find a way to fight them while also tackling his other enemies. Um, Kieran, when was the last time you watched this film? I can't remember. I honestly can't. I think it was the last time maybe I attempted a rewatch. Um, but it's it's been a decent amount of time for this one, a lot longer than it had been since I saw Iron Man 1. Um, this movie's this movie's interesting again. I think it has some really interesting through roads to what's later. Um, you know what the re- the really nice thing about not the nice thing, but the interesting thing about the Iron Iron Man is that whereas a lot of other superhero movies over the years have always have to rely on the protagonist having a, having a villain that they can kind of bounce back and forth on and be the, the kind of the crutch for them for the movie. All three Iron Man movies have this more kind of Tony Stark's own personal kind of mental health or like his personal challenges that he's dealing with are more often kind of fore and center of him be, like dealing with characteristic problems with himself that thankfully carry the movie over the villains, which are often very weak. Um, I think Whiplash is somewhat terrible in many ways i think mickey rock doesn't do a good job in this movie thank god for uh sam rockwell who is just fantastic this entire time and he just seems to have had the most fun like just doing this film because i like there's a lot of times where i wonder how much of his stuff is actually scripted and how much is ad lib i laugh every time he asks his like uh his assistant or his butler or whatever you want to call him to try and fit his head into the robot 
head that he's pulled off the the drone um i think he has a lot of fun and and i think once again um tony and uh pepper's relationship is once again at the forefront and does a very good job um i don't love pepper in this movie i think she has her moments of being like the fuck but at the same time she's dealing with a lot um but i I do overall really enjoy this movie uh done was the last time you watched iron man 2 (laughs) oh yeah probably the last time i watched iron man 1 to be honest i think i don't really know um yeah no this one this one's not one of my favorite ones it's i thought it was a bit of a struggle to get through to be honest it's just so devoid of the magic that made the first one and it's especially noticeable when you're doing a rewatch where you're watching these movies really close together i think the idea behind this movie is solid like just trying to have tony deal with the idea that he's dying and you get this like ultra Tony Stark ego out there parting it up or whatever. And no one's really understanding the struggle he's going with on the inside. Like that's, that's, that's a great setup. It's just like the villain side of this whole movie falls completely short for me. Like I like Sam Rockwell in this movie. He's fine for the parts he's in, but I just don't think he hammer is a completely engaging villain, like not enough to carry the movie. And neither is Whiplash. Like, they're both kind of just sub... Kind of... Well, Whiplash not- was always, like, a side villain. He was never a central villain, really. I don't think either of them are central villains. That no. might be the issue. So, yeah, you got two nobody villains teaming up to be the carry. Like, and especially because the way the movie opens with opening credits and it gives you a whole Whiplash's backstory and, like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Like, it just builds him up to be this big dude who's gonna rock tony stark's world but doesn't really i mean like i i this is my, my problem with a lot of mc movie mcu movies and this one is kind of evident of it is sometimes i'm like you don't need a boss level for this movie if you know what i mean like in, in a lot of ways i'm like did we need a big bad to carry this movie and could it have and maybe you do if you want to target the kids in quotation marks and you're going to have the big fight scene at the end. But in a lot of ways, I'm like, the idea of this movie with Tony Stark dealing with the fact he's dying and trying to find a solution to that and like at the same time dealing with um, the the stuff with his father, which they continue into movies going ahead as well. Like These are all cool ideas that make for a really great drama and they could have just honestly told that side of stuff more and delved into that more and made like the relationship stuff between him and pepper more like and that would have been enough for me personally and maybe that's not enough to sell a blockbuster but the thing is they could have made the they could have made war machine slash roadie the kind of quote-unquote not antagonist but like the the opposing point to this movie like the big quote like the the differential between iron man is roadie after stealing the suit is them dealing with that outcome and and the Roni not understanding the difficulties that Stark is going through at the time and having that dispute and having that discussion and you know this discussion at the start that is integral to this movie kind of leads on to Civil War a lot later which is a very interesting contrast when you look at where Tony Stark kind of lands in that later on down the track um but 
I think there's a lot of problems with, you know, I laughed when, and I've, I don't know why I've never picked it up, but when Rourke kind of comes out with his whiplash suit the first time with his arc reactor, and it's like, wait, he could only build that, but then they're all worried about, oh, somebody else showing that Tony start that, like, these weapons are out there and stuff, but it's like, yeah, but Tony built, like, a better version of that in a cave where he was held captive. Like, why are people worried about that as much? Um, and the other thing is, I don't understand his plan of turning up at Monaco because he didn't know that Tony Stark was going to drive race. around, like, to race. Like, there's no, that's not something you could pre plan. And he'd already just rocked up strolling around as, like, a, an emergency worker. It was just very, what's your, what's your plan here? How do you. I mean, he could have attacked him somewhere else if he's an emergency worker. You know, he's got full access to the track. Mm, yeah, but he wouldn't have anyway. full access. But he wouldn't have had full access to, like, all the private stuff where he's. In he could have made full access. He's got a couple of whips. Whip his way through. <laughs> Whip it real good. <laughs> yep. Uh. Yeah. I. I haven't watched this since I probably did rewatch before Avengers. Maybe. Um. I enjoy bits i feel like it's obviously a bit all over the place feel like pacing wise as what well, more than anything else it kind of lags in the middle especially when tony's having his breakdown and that kind of stuff uh and then there's full search for this hidden element which is somehow hidden within this uh disney world-esque epcot theme park um I really like Sam Rockwell. I really enjoy what he's going for here. I'm pretty much trying to be a a knockoff of Tony Stark, uh, doing the dancing and everything, and the fake tan and uh, everything like that. So did a good dance. To I, be fair. like he, he he does a good dance. You know, <laughs> you know, tries to be cool like Tony Stark. I also enjoy the fact that uh, in the the last film, at the start, Tony's got like a button phone that like flips over. This one, he's got a full-on see-through touchpad thing that you can use to control everything in the room. It's crazy how <laughs> quickly technology jumps ahead. Uh, yeah, I think they could have done more with the storyline of Tony dying and like him dealing with that and sort of... I know they were touching on the famous storyline of uh, Demon in a Bottle or whatever. They never quite went fully that direction, but uh, I appreciate the effort. I enjoy how they introduced Nash- Natasha Romanov in this film. Uh, but the other shield stuff tends to feel very forced, I think. Uh, I know Dylan has in the past on other podcasts has said Captain America feels like a prelude to the Avengers. This one feels more like a prelude to the Avengers than any other MCU film, in my opinion. Right. Oh, no. We'll think- see. When I, I, I so I know we're going to get to it, but so I have only ever watched Captain America one once because that's how much I disliked it. <laughs> oh, okay. interesting. Because <laughs> of how much I thought it was just a big fucking trailer for Avengers. So, uh, I mean, maybe we'll rewatch it and I'll, I'll I'll agree. But like, I I can somewhat agree that there's a lot of Avengers preludey stuff in here, but I I never feel like the whole movie's riding on that. They have a weird thing as well with this where they're trying to... They're trying to do the, whoa, look it out, we're in a shared universe and things are happening at the same time. Oh, freaking Coulson's got to yeah, go Yeah, the Coulson bit. Story. The Coulson bit is super, super forced. Is super forced because it's like, I'm here to make sure you don't go anywhere. A couple of scenes later, he just leaves and goes off. No. He comes back. Couple of what it really later. was, I'm here to let you know I'm in Thor coming next summer. Yeah, it's just very, it's just very weird where you're like, 
does this what like i think it's hmm? i think it stands out more because we're used to more subtle integration of characters and crossover type stuff being done in the more recent marvel movies when this is obviously early mcu days and that they just make it very in your face obvious when they're trying to hint at or introduce certain things i will say i always like kind of mark out or get really excited over the briefcase briefcase suit because that is a kind of a homage to especially like the animated tv show iron man where his suit was in a briefcase um and that Mm. shit was that shit's always cool to watch like every time that scene is on even though i'm having to kind of blind whiplash for a second like just forget about whiplash just him putting on that suit's really fucking cool yeah i don't uh I'm going to say it. I don't mind Whiplash. He's fine. He's perfectly serviceable. Mm, he's uh, there. He, he would have been much better if he they had have just gotten you know him his bird. You know, what, if they had gotten what? the right bird, he would have been a much better villain at the end. What annoys me the most, though, is why did he have to have an Iron Man suit at the end? Because like, he didn't I- want to get hurt. He didn't want to hurt his arms. No, but like, the, I actually, you know, if he had a, like just a more kind of teched out version of the first thing he was wearing... I'd be all in. That's way more Whiplash, even though Whiplash traditionally just had whips, just had normal whips and was not very any relation to it. But, um, like, yeah, if he had just been, instead of just becoming another, you know, he was an upgraded version of Obadiah Stane from Iron Man 1 at the end of it, which was very kind of swiftly sorted out by them being like, let's shoot each other, hook yuck. <laughs> uh... I guess, Dylan, how do you feel about the Pepper-Tony relationship this this film? Um, I think their, remo- their, their romance, their relationship actually builds up in a way that seems realistic. and Like, it works for me. I don't think it seems rushed because it's ta- it takes two films to get there. Um, you, get, you get hints at their, like, relationship in the first one and all this sort of stuff, like, and Pepper, like, I... I I like Pepper as a character. She she never feels like just the secretary, or she she never plays the the damsel in distress really until the 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 third film, I guess, to a, to a degree. I, I, I don't know, but like, no, I, I I like their relationship. I think their their relationship's one of the ones that actually works for me in the MCU. Yeah, I, I think they did some interesting building, obviously, with them being at odds. Because Tony's keeping secrets and that kind of stuff, and then for them, all comes to a good resolution in a Zoom call towards the end of the film. Yeah, classic, classic. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's move into building the MCU. Uh, we'll kick things off with James Rhodey Rhodes, play War Machine, played by Don Cheadle in this film, debuting again. I'm in 118 January 1979, created by David Micheline, John Byrne, and Bob Layton. Uh, how did we feel about Don Cheadle filling in the shoes of Terrence Howard? I feel like they got to it straight. They they f- structured it in a way where we got to it straight away. Don Cheadle just stood in. Even there's a very meta line of, yes, it's me. Get over it. It's me. And yes. then they just get into it. Yeah. I like it. It's fine. I said, yeah. like, I said last time. I no we're all used to Don it Cheadle. now. It's, we're used to it. It's, one, it's a version we're most used to. So... Like, I know we watch one movie without him, but it's still the one we've seen him the most of, so it just kind of felt like coming back yeah. to the way we're, we're used to it. More, where, where So seeing Terrence, Terrence for the first time in a while was like, okay, hello there. <laughs> I haven't yeah, seen you I for think a while. Was, <laughs> as we commented when we watched Iron Man 1, 
it was the it was odd watching Terence Howard, you know, be Rhodey, whereas when it's Don Cheadle, you're like, no, this is this is Rhodey, this is War Machine that we know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it might just be because of the two different films, but I felt like obviously Ten- Terence Howard was a little bit more fun, you know. But I guess the the Rhodey in this film needs to be a bit more serious. Uh, well, he's put in a position against, where he's, he's kind of yeah. like he's he's trying to play the middleman of eternally being like, hey. Like the government and Iron Man trying to like kind of almost shield Tony a lot of it, and I think when he doesn't understand what Tony's going through, and Tony then kind of acts the way he does, and it kind of is the last straw for Rhodey, and Rhodey's just like fuck it, all right, I I will do what my country needs me to do, yeah. Um, even if it's not in the best way, and I, I you know, you know what the the ex-wife section of the last scenes really disappoints me because it's like oh you just kind of made war machine a bit of a joke there by having his kind of big but the joke's on warhammer i know it's more on hammer but at the same time i really love war machine and i'm like oh i wish you know i, I like the like, and i have the, the laugh at the same time of you know them being like we need to put the biggest gun on that on the highest point and they both walk over there it's it makes me chuckle every time yeah uh then of course natasha romanov black widow Played by Carl Johansson, uh, debuted in Tales of Suspense '52 in April 1964. Created by Stanley, Don Rico, and Don Heck. Uh, how do we all feel about Scarlett Johansson's first appearance? In retrospect, yeah. Um, she's played up. The one thing I forgot or blanked over in this movie is just how much more she's played up as the like sexy, sexy yeah. badass girl, which they don't have in like any of the the past few movies she's been in at all she was just more of straight up hey she's a (laughs) here's a character with a bunch of trauma and she's going through some fucked up shit and she's part of the avengers team and we all love her and then she dies and we're all sad so like it it kind of feels weird to watch this one where she is just more it's like really her character doesn't have much to it in this movie other than she kicks ass she's sexy She's got the skin tight black suit on. Fucking insert that scene from Jane Silent Bob Strike Back where they like zip up the suit slowly, I guess. I don't know. Like, I know. Like, in this movie, Black Widow to me is not interesting, I guess. I feel like at yeah. this point in time, they didn't know what they were going to do with her. Like, they didn't Probably really not, have no. much structure or understanding of where the character was going. Um, so they just tried to play it off as, you know, try and put it through Tony Stark's kind of. I guess uh, at the same point you've got to look at, okay, not, I guess in the direction is, but is this kind of played up more because they're trying, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to get into Tony's kind of inner circle by having this, you know, play on his past, like, bad, quote-unquote, bad boy or playboy lifestyle. Um, you know, and it's kind of, it's weird, and especially, you know, there's the, the sections with Happy and her, I think they have a really good kind of chemistry, but at the same time, it's just, yeah, it's, it is what it is. And I think filmmaking from the time, I think a lot of us, a lot of filmmakers and a lot of society in general have kind of moved away from portraying women in that such a light um, to this day, especially for MTU. Yeah, I, I well, I, in my opinion, obviously she's playing undercover role half the film. So she's purposely playing up the sexy thing to try and get on Tony Stark's good side and that kind of thing. I uh, don't understand her... Sorry, I don't understand her motives for um, answering Tony Stark, Tony's question in, um, like, 
just before the party that kind of pushes Tony over the edge. Like, it's a very, I don't know, like, it's a very leading answer. I think she was just being honest. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. It was one one moment of honesty, and then she caused all these problems. But but then from later in the movie, it's like, oh, she already knows about all this, though. Like, you would think she already has the understanding of where Tony is. Well, she tried to be honest, because maybe he would have gone in a different... It's like, you know what? He just had a conversation with Pepper. He's like, what would you do if it's the last part, birthday party you ever had? She says that, and he sh- her thought process was, oh, he'd take Pepper away for a speaker- secret getaway on their I don't own. Think, I don't think so, Ashley. I don't think that would be... <laughs> you know, the grown-up thing, no. Like <laughs> he, he embraces his worst impulses uh, in one of the most... Uh, I, I really don't like that scene, obviously, <laughs> the, the party scene. It's, it's a, a, it's, yeah, it's, it's a no. cringy watch. It is. Yes, very much so. And there's several deleted scenes where I could see in the extras, and I'm like, well, I'm glad these weren't. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, editor. Uh, and then finally, we've got Howard Stark, played by John Slatter in this iteration, debuted in Iron Man number 28, August 1970, created by Archie Goodwin and Don Heck. Um, our first interpretation of Howard Stark and how much of a not great father he was. It's great. I love Howard in this one. Well, I mean, to, to, I guess the way he's portrayed. I mean, so I remember watching this for the first time and I was already watching Mad Men. So I was like, oh, great. Like, cool. The oh, guy yeah. from Mad Men's in this. Um, and yeah, he he plays that character to, to a peach for what it needs to be, which is he comes across, you know, suave and smart and sophisticated and rich guy. But also able to do the whole like with that one scene where you see Tony as a kid creep in the back, you like you get you get an idea between that and the way Tony's like reacts to any talk of if is of his father. Uh, you, you get a full understanding of what his father like how he actually treated him and how he kind of ignored him throughout his his childhood. Like that between him and um fucking no, I just mental blank to Robert Downey Jr.'s name no, uh, between the, their two performances. I think it sells a lot of. Chinese childhood, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, he definitely gives off a big Disney vibe, obviously, because of the yeah. the tone Stark whatever it's called. Stark Expo. Yeah. Yeah. If a PAX was announced and like PAX goes for twelve months, everyone. Fuck that. I think that's <laughs> a convention. That's just life at that point, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, then a f- couple other ones that I want to touch on, obviously. Gary Shanling plays United States Senator Stern. Uh, on rewatch, it's not surprising that he's Hydra. Why? What's he What's he doing in this movie? Oh, no, he's in that... Oh, uh, he's, yeah. the he's, trying he's the, the senator. He's the senator who's trying to get the Iron Man suit. And yeah, then, of course, in Civil... He shows back up in Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. Whispers. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Max Favreau play appears as Peter Parker towards the end of the film, which we know. only know because it was like <laughs> retconned. Like once Spider Man and stuff came out to be like, oh, by the way, that's Peter Parker, everyone. And everybody's like, yeah. oh. I don't know this. What? So the yeah, so, yeah, the, so, little that, so the little kid, who's who pretends to be Iron Man towards the end of the film. Yeah, that he kind of saves that. Like yeah. he puts his hand up. That got retconned yeah. to be Peter. When Parker. did they retcon that? Around Homecoming. How, when did they explain this? 
it was not in a movie. Like this was just explained no. in an interview or something. It, it was, was confirmed kind of, by like Tom Holland and I think it started as a internet thing, like the internet yep. kind of somebody from like Reddit or somebody put the dots together and then somebody's come out and said, Yes, yes it is him. Okay. Well, someone threw the idea that, hey, this would be a cool thing if it was connected. And then, yeah, they yeah. made it a thing. It's like- uh, it works out in timeline. I forgot so. to mention it, obviously, last week, but uh, Martin Starr appears briefly in The Incredible Hulk uh, as a computer nerd at whatever college he's packing into. Yes, yes. Uh, and they've yeah. retroactively revealed that's his character from Spider-Man Homecoming. I didn't know that. That's really cool, though. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Uh, so Stan Lee sighting, I'll be honest, I um, I very much miss this. When can you miss but it? But he, you, it you is a, the it's start. the shortest appearance, I think. He plays a Larry King lookalike as Tony Stark is leaving Stark Expo. Yep. So. So this is the point in Marvel filmmaking where they didn't know what the fuck they were doing with these Stan Lee yeah. sightings, where they just kind of kept making him look like other people whereas i think it kind of it turned into a bit of a like there was more of a bit to it by the end of it so, there was more of a yeah they uh, went hey we sh- he's got he can be funny he can get this is an opportunity for comic relief he acted uh, in use- mole rats he can say yeah. lines yeah uh yeah this the, yeah this wasn't good i don't know i i was looking up photos of it i'm like is he just photoshopped onto somebody in suspenders? Do you know who Larry King is actually no, wearing? Him. No, that's actually yeah. him wearing them. He's a lot younger at this point. Like, he's not. That's true. Um, he's uh, still old, but he's not frail old. Yeah. And that's been your Stan Lee sighting for this week. Uh, Kieran, what's your most marvellous moment from Iron Man 2? I've already spoiled mine, but mine's the briefcase moment. Because you mark out like fuck, because briefcase suit is fucking cool as. All right. Well, Dylan, what's your most marvelous moment from Lion Man Two? Um, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> can I? Can I? Can I? Can I, can I say none? Is it, I, I don't. I don't. I honestly can't think of one scene where I'm like, yes, that scene was marvelous. <laughs> That was a marvelous scene. I really enjoyed that one. I don't know the father I didn't scene. You hated there you go. It this much. That was my favorite. Yeah, scene. I can't believe you hated it so much. I just think the whole movie is just very average. Like, there's no standout to me. I, I, I guess that's that's one of my biggest problems with this movie. Like, it doesn't have one. Like, even amongst the average stuff, even the action scenes, I'm like, yeah, that wasn't exciting. Like, the, the finale for the movie is just so explosions it's literally fucking robots which is my number one thing i hate the most about these goddamn films as we go ahead especially as we approach like age of ultra and i'm like wow it's just 10 minutes of them fucking smashing robots and it just kind of gets mind numbing and this this film's finale is literally fucking robots but which is is why i never played the (laughs) avengers video game because it's just fighting fucking robots very much so but uh Mine was uh, Black Widow fighting in the hallway. I think, uh, oh yeah, obviously a good showcase for her abilities, and then also finally contrasted with Happy Hogan fighting one guy and struggling. <laughs> but being he got him he, though, he got, got him. To be he fair, got him. he almost did a Mike Tyson on him, and yeah. he almost he got him. Yep. 
No, you got to resort to what you got to resort. I will. I will quick question though. I I forgot I thought about this, but it just somehow reminded me during this section before we move on to recommendation. So when Rhodey steals the Iron Man suit and he flies all the way back to the the base, right? So normally, yes. when Iron Man finishes, we have established that Iron Man normally lands somewhere and like has machines that takes everything off him and like disassembles the suit. How does Rhodey get out of the? Suit? I don't know how he got into the suit. Let alone how he got set. No, he's getting no, he, got, he got into the machine. Like, he would have had Jarvis. I'm pretty sure I think that's, why, I think that's why he shot. says to the guy, and he, he says to the other dude, he's like, let's just get this inside and see how he, like, get this off me or something. Like, I don't, yeah. mm, I don't know if he says I that. I think it, yeah, it probably involved very- pliers, uh, probably <laughs> <laughs> some wedges, you know, trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to get it off. I'm sure there's some sort of button that's, like, auto- deploy or you know just die you know everything just comes off <laughs> there's probably a button by the way you know just in case this reminded me of something as well about the whole like roadie getting into the suit i'm saying like i always ever since i watched this movie took the part where someone says to tony about him coding into the suit so random people can't use it like to me that always just explained that he had programmed into the suit so brody would be able to use it and yet i've always had people no nah, he just didn't so he just didn't activate any of the fail safes or anything. See, so I've, I've never taken it him. that way. I've taken it as he programmed into the suit that Rody would be able to use it from as a safety no, measure. Like, maybe, maybe that's part of it. But then also, I think the way uh, Romanov says it when he's having a discussion with uh, Fury is that he has fail safes to prevent somebody from doing that. Yeah. She, but yeah, but they're like, you yeah, have fail safes. Did you forget to turn those on? And it, the way he kind of looks, I've always taken it as a, him being like, well, I think, no. I think I, well, I always wanna... thought, I always thought his plan. Obviously, Tony thought he was going to die. His plan was, I'll let Rhodey take up the mantle of Iron Man. Yeah, yeah, that's what I always took it as that he did. It, he let him have it on purpose because he's like, you know what? This way, I can give it to him. But then also, I don't have to. You know, the egotistical nature. You don't have to talk Stark. about it. Yeah, I don't, I don't have to tell have him to why he took about it. it. Yeah. And I don't have to admit that I'm giving something to the like the United States yeah. that I'm. I remember when the for. movie came out, people were like, "Oh, this is so stupid. Why would you do that?" And I'm like, "I'm pretty sure he's just programmed Brody into it. Like, I never, I never saw it as a big plot hole or something." Yeah. No. All right, let's go to this episode's comics recommendation. I recommended Armor Wars Iron Man 225 to 231, released December 1987. Written by David Micheline and Bob Layton, uh, penciled by Mark D. Bright and Barry Windsor-Smith. Uh, so this first week we've been reading them, um, some of us. Uh, some of us. I'm sure this, book. I think this will be a case going forward. Some of this weeks will be just busier than other weeks. Um, yeah. Obviously, this run is focuses on Tony Stark, um, clearly. Uh, his, <laughs> so his technology gets stolen by... Justin Hammer, and he's only just finding out about this and seeks out to destroy any trace of his Stooks technology across the world uh, against both friends and foes. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was an enjoyable uh, story, uh, obviously. <laughs> Very Tony Stark-like, in which he birds pretty much every bridge he possibly can. In this arc, he uh, crosses Captain America, he gets kicked out of the Avengers, um, Iron Man is fired as spokesperson for Stark Enterprises, uh, in which also includes one of my favorite <laughs> lines, which is 
it wasn't intention had had probably good intentions at the time, but the line is uh oh turn- Iron Man's gotten fired. Do you want me to try and get you a new spokesperson? Maybe I'll try and get Bill Cosby. Wow. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. That's right. I didn't even read into that. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, really enjoyable. Obviously, good ending of where Iron Man is thinking about maybe giving it up. But of course, it keeps going on being Iron Man. Uh, yeah. So would you, Kieran, you read this one. What do you think? Uh, I always find these really interesting, and I I don't know why, mentally I've always struggled at going back to these older issues of Iron Man, because there's something about the old Iron Man suit designs that never really clicked with me, because I've always been set on, like, the mm. current kind of iteration of Iron Man. Yeah, this Man is very much the suit. slit like, eyes, no. Yes, yes <laughs> You have exactly, to shut things it's... off, yeah. Yeah, um, but I, I still enjoyed it. Um, as we were discussing before the podcast... Man, comic books written around this time are much longer or feel much longer than they do in later iterations and later installments. Um, so these, what do we read? From 225 up to 231 felt a lot longer than that, but um, <laughs> I still enjoyed it. And I still, I like the the very, the almost renegade nature of Iron Man. And, and it's a trait that we've seen many times throughout Iron Man stories. And we will talk about later in this MCU kind of rewatch that, Iron Man has this kind of, he has this mental state that's like, nah, once I'm fucking set on something, it's happening, and I don't care who I'm pissing off, or I don't care who I'm having to cross or get go past to do this. I, I'm doing it my way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So that's our comics recommendations. If you've got your own comics recommendations for Iron Man 2, or you want to send us your thoughts on the film, let us know on Twitter. And you can find all our Twitters at explosionnetwork.com slash twitter on our next episode of our marvel rewatch we'll be discussing thor so make sure you watch that and join us next time for an all-new marvel cast Marvel.